The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. What's up, everyone? I want to tell you about a car that you are going to love. Check it out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, I love that, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. So let's say you're ready to take the family on a camping trip or something like that. The Santa Fe is perfect for you. You've got all-wheel drive. You can load everyone up in the third row. It's time to start being adventurous, and you need the right car, and that's the Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. What a play! Can you believe this? No, I can't. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Off to the races, and he stays on his feet. This is going to go the distance. Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. All right, we're talking about regression today on another episode. I'm going to call it an awesome episode. They've all been awesome. This will be no exception of Beyond the Box Score. Welcome, everybody. I'm Adam Azer with Dan Schneier and Jacob Gibbs. I love this trio. We're going to add another awesome guest to it today. Jacob, tell us who we're bringing on today. Yeah, no pressure, Jared, but we're going for awesome. Jared is <laughs> an awesome fantasy analyst um, over at Draft Sharks. has a second highest multi-season expert accuracy score. According to Fantasy Pro, so across the 2019 through 2021 seasons, the second most accurate of anyone in the contest. Um, if you have been keeping up with the Beyond the Box score guest list, you maybe are catching on that I'm just inviting all the people that I can't quite catch on the rating score and try, <laughs> trying to see what they're doing, uh, get their secret sauce. Um, but yeah, I, I love Jared's uh, content on Twitter um, and I've been really, really excited to have him on the show. So thanks for coming on, Jared. Thanks for having me, guys. I, I'm uh, sure I'm going to learn a lot today so i'm just hoping i can uh, contribute a little something to the conversation and this is jared smola of draft sharks at smola ds s-m-o-l-a-d-s and it is our pleasure to have you on here we're going to be talking about regression um so jacob yeah what, what do people need to know about regression including uh are we going to get yelled at for people like gaining touchdowns and us calling that regression instead of <laughs> progression or something like that <laughs> Yeah, we've got a lot to talk about on the team level side of things. We'll get into some specific players and the yeah, positive regression, negative regression, however you want to uh, label it. Just players <laughs> who maybe should have scored more, should have been more efficient with the opportunities that they did get last year. Just really trying to add context to the baseline numbers that we got and see if we can get some values uh, heading into 2023. All right, where do we begin? So on the team side of things, um, I really wanted to bring up the Dallas Cowboys. Um, something I looked at, I tweeted this out. It's a chart that um, charts their points per drive and the team's yards per drive and just has a trend line there. And there's a few teams that stand out and none more so than the Cowboys. Um, the Cowboys were seventh in points per drive in 2022. 
but we're only 18th in yards per drive. Um, and I think in conjunction with what we've seen this offseason, I'm not encouraged about the move from Kellen Moore to Brian Schottenheimer. Um, I think they're going to play a lot slower. I'm a little bit worried um, when I project Dallas. If, if, if I don't think that they're going to be as efficient as they were last year and then the scoring is going to come down to match something closer to the yards per drive, I think we could have some concerns with guys who are getting drafted really high here. So if you look at um, the highest touchdown to rush ratio, so simply the amount of rushes that resulted in touchdowns last year, there were four running backs with a rate of 5% or higher. Two of them were Cowboys, Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. Um, and really Pollard, he scored nine rushing touchdowns, three receiving touchdowns. Both of those were 90th percentile um, in terms of touchdown per rush or per reception at the running back position. So really an outlier type of performance from him. Um, and as you've brought up, Adam, Zeke was the guy who they really gave those touches to. And if they bring in anybody to challenge him in that role, that is something that's going to scare me off of him at ADP quite a bit. Um, the only other thing to bring up was CeeDee Lamb was 61st percentile among wide receivers in touchdown per reception, um, highest rate of his career. So it really affected the whole offense, but particularly the rushing offense. All right, so our first topic is then, are we worried about the Dallas Cowboys offense? This is something that Chris Towers has talked about on the show where he thinks they're going to be a top 12 offense, but I think they were third in scoring last year, and they were scoring well over 30 points per game. Not well over, but somewhere I think around 31, 32, which is an incredible number after Dak Prescott came back from his injury. They just, uh, maybe, I'm not sure if that included week 18 where they laid a total egg, but they were unbelievable. Uh, So, Jared, do you share any of these concerns from Jacob about the Dallas Cowboys offense? I do, and it's the OC change that Jacob talked about. I have the numbers here, you know. Under Kellen Moore, the last three seasons, the Cowboys top two in situation-neutral pace in all three of those seasons. Brian Schottenheimer's last three Seahawks offenses, the last three times he was an OC, those teams finished 18th, 24th, and 22nd in situation-neutral pace. So I just think you're going to get fewer plays from Dallas this off this season. I'm, I'm not out on Dallas. I actually like Pollard at ADP and I'm fine with where CD lamb is going, but I'm kind of out on Dak Prescott and these, you know, ancillary wide receivers. I definitely do have con- some concerns with Dallas's offense. What are you, by the way, using for ADP right now? Cause okay. So we're recording this on Thursday, June 29th. I look at fantasy pros. I look at NFC uh, maybe since like June 1st, but I don't know what reliable ADP is because you know, yeah. I'm, I've said this before, you know, I've, t- I've taken Tony Pollard at the end of the first round, but I see him in ADP going more like 24th, 2-3 turn. CeeDee Lamb are a little earlier than that. What do you use, Jared, for ADP at the moment? I'm, I'm using ADP from the two places I'm drafting at right now, and that's Underdog and FFPC. Un- yeah. Underdog's half PPR. FFPC does have the tight end premium, 1.5 PPR for tight ends, so you got to be careful with that. But um, I think those two ADP sources are pretty reliable at this point. Just to add... Just to add a little bit more to this Dallas discussion, because it's a team that I'm also very concerned with. It's a team I won't be investing much in this year. In addition to the main factor here that both Jared and Jacob did a good job outlining, which is you're going from somebody who, Kellen Moore, three times in a row, top two in neutral rate and neutral pass rate, to what you know is going to be the opposite almost, almost a polar opposite. That's not good for fantasy. But also looking a little bit into the scheduling here, and I know we don't want to make too much of it, but I think Dave Richard does a really good job of with his projected strength of schedule, which factors in not the typical strength of schedule factors, factors things like PFF grades and all of that. And Dallas has projected strength of schedule of 25th 
uh, easiest. So obviously the seventh hardest 24 uh, against with quarterbacks, 24th with running backs, 25th with receivers, 20th with tight ends. The entire NFC East has a really difficult schedule. They go from facing the easiest division of football by far, the AFC South to facing the AFC East with defenses like the bills, the jets, the dolphins defenses that are really difficult in my opinion to run on the Patriots as well. You can add to the mix in addition to facing the NFC West, which is not easy to run on and not easy to throw on either. So I think the scheduling is going to be a big, difficult thing here too. And if the Dallas is the team they were last year, which was a team that made a massive jump defensively under Dan Quinn. It leads me to believe they're not going to be in these shootout type games either, which is also bad for fantasy. So there's for me a, a lot not to like with Dallas where they're projected to go ADP wise. Mm, very negative, very negative today, Jacob. All right. Uh, what, uh, what other? There's also positive regression, Adam. Yeah. Well, coming I mean, up eventually. From, you know, I, I brought this up. The Cowboys, uh, I think they were 24th in run percentage inside the 10 yard line last year. I think that will be different. I, they, like they were, I don't know. They were somewhere around there. I think they were they were much higher the year before. I think CD Lamb's going to catch more touchdowns. Did we, what did you say about CD Lamb's touchdown rate, Jacob? It was above. Um, it was in the top half of the league, which it had not been prior. Um, it was by far his career. High, um, which he he was career high across the board last. Year. He should so it, right. He should be, and right. he only had what right. nine touchdowns on like a hundred and fifty targets or something like mm-hmm. that. He had a third of his team's touchdowns. So yep. um, I think they're going to throw. I think they're going to throw more touchdowns yeah. and run for fewer. Well, I mean, going back to the rush rate in the red zone thing. I mean, Zeke was third league wide in both carries inside the ten and carries inside the five last year. Yeah. I think Pollard's gonna get some of those, which is why I like Pollard, but I don't think he's you know, I don't think he's gonna get all those. I think a lot of those runs are, are gonna turn into passes as you're as you're saying, Adam. Yeah. Or or they're just not gonna score as much, but hopefully well, that's what you that's guys what think, think might happen. All right, Jacob, what else we got? Yeah, let's get into some positive ones here. The Dolphins were eighteenth in points per drive, uh, so below league average actually, but were fifth in yards per drive. Um, so I think we've got some correction coming for them potentially. And definitely that has a lot to do with the splits without Tua. So um, a third of their total offensive players were played without Tua last year. And on those plays, they were 30th in EPA per drive um, or per play and 1.44 points per drive, which ranks 29th. Um, and the player that really stood out to me when digging into Miami's um, data was Tyreek Hill. He had 170 targets, 119 receptions. All of his numbers across the board were easy career highs, but he only had seven touchdowns. Um, we're going to talk in more um, detail about touchdown to reception ratio, but his was just like really hard to believe. He was sixth percentile among wide receivers with an average depth of target of 12 yards or higher. Um, and I think it is important to bucket receivers um, by the types of routes that they're running. And among players who are running really deep routes, he was like one of the least lucky when it came to scoring touchdowns. Um, which is obviously a surprise for a player as good as Tyree Kill. Yeah, it's interesting because we had uh, Jake Seely on our show earlier today on Thursday. Uh, I, this is when we're recording. I'm not sure, quite sure yet when we're going to publish this, but uh, he had Tyree Kill as his wide receiver two in half PPR. Um, Jared, what do you think about that? There's a really a lot to like about Tyree Kill. He's my wide receiver two as well. Now uh-huh. it's you know neck and neck between him and Jamar Chase, and I would not fault anyone for you know taking Chase above Tyreek. I'm sort of mixing and matching them if I have the choice. But um, yeah, Tyreek Hill. Talk about the the Tua injury stuff. Tyreek saw more volume from Tua. He was more efficient when Tua was on the field. So I like that. I like the fact that he's a positive touchdown regression candidate. I like the fact that it's the second year 
under Mike McDaniel, the entire offense could take a step forward, just, you know, being more comfortable with the system. So um, I'm, I'm definitely in on the Dolphins passing game. We know how concentrated it is, right? I mean, it's, it's Tyreek and, and Waddle. So that kind of makes it easy to invest in those guys. Yeah, Dan, I think that Tua knew what he was doing because two of the games he missed were against the Jets. And he, I just don't think he wanted to face them. And Tyreek Hill was terrible in both of those games without Tua. <laughs> All right, Chase or Tua, Dan? Chase or Tua? Oh, you mean Chase I mean, or Chase Hill? or Tyreek Hill. <laughs> I still super, super Chase, flex, like, yeah. super flex. Shit, dad. Super, dad. Yeah. <laughs> I still, that would have been a more interesting one. I still have Chase slightly above Tyreek, who is my wide receiver three, which I feel like even just listening to Jared and, and Jake, like we're higher on Tyreek than the consensus. I think mm-hmm. most people have him as four or five um, for the reasons they brought up. As far as why is Chase a little above Tyreek for me? It's just for me, mostly just watching these guys play on film. I just know from a schematic standpoint at this stage of their careers, there is absolutely no real way to defend Jamar Chase on the outside because he's either going to run the vertical or run the back shoulder. None, are, Neither of which is coverable. People try to play press man against him. He's one of like a handful of receivers you can't play press man against. It's a little different for me watching Tyreek Hill. I feel like he's schemed open a little bit more. McDaniel, which is fine for fantasy. That's fine. Um, he's going to rack up yards, but I just feel like the – Say the floor, the higher floor for Chase for me is just there's no way to really defend him right now in the NFL. Um, everyone's tried different things against the Bengals and it hasn't worked. So I don't know. I just like the floor a little bit more for Chase, I think. All right. So that's a couple of teams that uh, Jacob was looking at in terms of touchdown regression. And I think, you know, you should be very, very confident drafting Tyreek Hill. Does that affect Jalen Waddle at all, Jacob? How we should feel about uh, him? Of the two, he like was in the upper echelon of um, touchdown to reception ratio. I think it's possible that like he ran a little bit hot, and some of those could go to Tyreek. But overall, I don't think it affects him a whole lot. I think both should smash. We we had uh, been on just last episode, Ben Gretch talking about the RPOs and just how concentrated it is in offenses like Miami and Philadelphia. Um, I, I really, right. I, I feel good about drafting both guys. And as crazy as it sounds, I kind of feel a little bit better this year drafting both guys with Mike White in there over Teddy Bridgewater. Yes. And and I just feel like he has a better chance of keeping that style of offense on track and keeping it in rhythm. Yeah. Um, I just had one other crazy team stat, and I wanted to throw it to Jared to talk about uh, the Cleveland Browns. Um, the Broncos only had 2.1 red zone drives per game last year. Only Oof. seven. Only seven teams have had a rate that low over the past 10 years. Um, so that's, you know, 320 teams, obviously wow. that's pretty nuts and things could be a lot, lot better with Sean Payton. Um, so yeah, I don't know if there's anyone specifically on Denver, Samaj P. Ryan, that is like going to clearly benefit from that. Um, but I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah. I mean, I like that take Denver is definitely a team I've been big on. I looked at last year and just kind of thought about some of the offenses that broke out that we weren't expecting. Two of them for fantasy were the Dolphins that we just discussed. We It's not that we weren't expecting, but we weren't really pricing them at that point. Tyreek, Jalen Waddle, too, and none of those guys were priced at that point. I feel like the Giants were also in that boat. Daniel Jones wasn't priced at that point. Saquon Barkley was was creeping up and not quite priced at that point. You look at those teams, and for me, the biggest difference is the coaching change there. They completely retooled their system, and they got in somebody who knows how to move the football from a schematic standpoint. And that's exactly what Denver did. No offense to Nathaniel Hackett, who I think was a little bit over his head trying to co- head coach and coordinate. A little bit. That's, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> a lot over his head. But Sean Baton is a proven sch- uh, schematic dominant coach. Like he is the guy you want calling plays and designing offensive plays outside of maybe Andy Reid and a couple others. So I'm big on the Broncos. Like you said, like that that's the regression I'm looking for, Jacob, right there. Historic lows on offense. What are the chances that repeats <laughs> itself, especially with a coach like Sean Payton in there? So it's not even that I'm that confident in Russell Wilson. I'm more just confident in Sean Payton. 
the chances are almost zero of the teams that were yeah. below them. None of them were ever that low the next year. There you go. Jared, you share the optimism. Uh, you know, look, I feel like everybody in the fantasy industry loves Jerry Judy, but do you share the optimism yeah. on the Broncos in general? I haven't made up my mind on the Broncos yet. I guess I still have what two yeah. months to go before the season starts. Cause I, I, you know, I, I love the Peyton edition. I think they have the weapons there. They upgraded the O line the O line is going to be yeah. quite a bit better this year. I just, I don't know about Russell Wilson. I, yeah. I, I don't. Is I, I'm not sure he's going to bounce back. I'm sure he'll be better just because of the the coaching upgrade. But is he going to be good enough to you know support that as a as a top ten offense and you know to, to support a couple of fantasy viable wide receivers and a fantasy viable tight end? And there's two running backs going in the top like forty yeah. and ADP. So there's just uh, people are investing heavily in Denver, and I'm not quite there yet because of Russell Wilson. All right, Dan, you ready to um, kind of keep me in check here? Okay, right, this is a big moment. I was wondering, when is this moment going to happen? I think I'm ready to do it right now. Uh-oh. Because last year I was really high on the Broncos and Russell Wilson. I'm going there again. Okay. I already decided, like, I was huge on Cortland Sutton last year. I've already decided that's going to be Jerry Judy this year, but thankfully, like, two <laughs> rounds later. But I think I want to be really high on Russell Wilson because it costs nothing. He's your backup quarterback, your last pick, you know, one of your last picks. Now, two QB league could be a little bit different, but I still think worth a roll of the dice. But I'm looking at his QB 18 right now, going after Daniel Jones, after Jared Goff, after Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I can't say he has higher upside than Rodgers, but I think he definitely has higher upside than even Geno Smith and Jones and Goff. And I, I just, I mean, look, I talked. We talked to Robert Turbin two days ago. Is Russell Wilson washed up? He said, "Hell no." So I, I think that it's worth it when he's so easy to just drop. If you just after two weeks, if it's not working, you're not investing anything in him right now. So there it is, Schneier. Are you? No, I can't, co-sign? I can't keep you in check because he's one of my favorite targets at quarterback this year. And if I'm going with that strategy, which I have been less likely to do so far in drafts this year. It's the weirdest thing ever for me. I'm drafting quarterbacks early for the first time in my fantasy career. I've never done it once in one QB leagues, and I'm finding myself taking Allen when he falls to round four, or deep round four, like these types of players. And I just never thought I'd get there. But during the times, I, there still are going to be teams where I go late round quarterback for sure. It's a tried and true strategy. Um, and it's it backup quarterback. Sense. I'm not saying that Russell Wilson has to be the center. No, no. When I do play. that, it's like I draft a Wilson and I draft a like, not this is a bad example, like a Trey Lance. I'm not even going to talk about him, but like someone like that <laughs> with upside and a Wilson. Anthony Richardson. Look at Richardson, right. And then I just play them both and cut one of them. Uh, or, or roster and both cut one of them early. But Russell, for me, I just think about those later years of the Saints with Sean Payton and Drew Brees when Drew Brees' arm was like shot and they were still moving the football consistently. And I just I just know how that offense is going to work. It's going to be a lot of screens and throws to the running backs. P. Ryan, I think, is going to be a great value for that standpoint. And a lot of just easy solutions for the quarterback. That's what McDaniel did for Tua. That's what Dable did for Daniel Jones. And I think that's what Sean Payton will do for Russell. So I don't think he needs to be that good for them to move the football. I want to bring up one more name on Denver. It's Greg Dulcich. Um, and I want to point you guys to a really cool article um, on fantasy points by Ryan Heath. It's called age curves when NFL players break out and fall off. And he looked at each position and tied in specifically the numbers going in from year one to year two was like really, really what stood out to me um, really at any of the positions. I have generally thought the Titans break out later in the career. Um, and we all know to avoid rookie Titans, but like, his research showed that like year two tight ends are definitely something you want to buy in on. Um, and Dulcich is just a really interesting name um, among year two tight ends who had some decent underlying rates. Yes. Dulcich is one of my favorite values and drafts are now at tight end. Um, 
you know, he, he missed seven games last year, so it kind of masks how good he was as a rookie. You know, fantasy production was there. He was a top 12 tight end in fantasy points per game. I think, as, as Jacob said, you know, the, the per route efficiency was good. The target earning was pretty solid for a rookie tight end. So I, I, I like him quite a bit. I think it's a good take. Dolchich was my tight end one coming out of the draft last year. I had him over Trey oh. McBride. Yeah, I felt like he was a much better player on tape. He's more of the receiver type. I think they'll use him in three by ones. But my one concern with Dolchich, I don't know if this concerns you guys. It just concerns me a little bit. Was the Saints trading for Adam, or I'm sorry, the Broncos trading for Adam Troutman. I just think the history with Sean Payton there, it scares mm-hmm. me a little bit because they're not going to have an ability. Like, they're not going to have. They're probably not going to run too much 12 personnel and get them both on the field. So it's like, is he going to eat into Dolchich's snaps? And at that yeah. point, like, what are you, are you getting any consistency out of a player like that fantasy was? So Pey- Peyton was asked about Dolchich yeah. at the combine and he gave like a really tepid answer. Like, I, I don't know how to use this guy. I'm not really sure yet. Okay. And he talked about him again. Um, I think it was during uh, minicamp th- uh, this past week. And he seemed pumped about Greg Dalsich. Like he, he said he's going to play the Joker role in his offense, yeah. which is like the Camara. So I, I think okay. Peyton's kind of come around on Dalsich over the last three months. So um, that, that I was kind of lukewarm on him when I heard the comments back in March. But after hearing Peyton talk about him uh, last week, I, that, that made me a lot more comfortable with Dalsich's role in this offense. And that's interesting too to me because it's like when he came out into that draft class, he wasn't your typical tight end. Like he was nowhere close to prototypical Y. Almost more so looked like a big receiver running out there like a mike evans style receiver so if he feels like he can get him in that type of role that puts him in space and allows him to create it could be really interesting for fantasy all right we got to take a quick break here and we'll come back with much more with jared and dan and jacob right after this ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, It's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, this has been an easy show for me. I'm not doing much. Jacob, do my job. What's next? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. So, Jared, you say you can't make up your mind on the Broncos. Uh, that's exactly how I feel about the Cleveland Browns. So I just want to <laughs> kick it to you to help me understand what to do with Cleveland this year. Yeah, I'm, I guess just starting from the regression standpoint, since that's what this show is about. Um, Cleveland's a positive regression candidate for sure. You know, just looking at points per drive last year, 17th there. They were ninth, though, in yards per drive. A big problem. They just they couldn't 
convert in the red zone. They were 19th in red zone touchdown rate. So they were getting there. They just weren't, you know, turning those red zone trips into touchdowns. So I like that. I mean, that obviously came with what two thirds of a season of Jacoby Brissett and then a third of uh, a clearly rusty Deshaun Watson. So I, t- to me, if you believe Deshaun Watson is going to bounce back anywhere close to, you know, Texans form where to me, you know, he was a, he was a top five NFL quarterback and then the numbers will bear that out in terms of efficiency. Yeah. If you think he's going to bounce back anywhere close to that level, I think this Browns passing game in particular is really going to take off this season. And, but who do you think other than Amari Cooper enters the, you know, must, must start territory if anyone, or are we just looking more yeah. at streamers uh, in that passing offense? I mean, I have, I have David Njoku. I think he's my tight end seven. Okay. You know, I'm a few spots ahead of ADP. He's another guy where injuries kind of masked how good he was last year. I think he was around 18% target share in his healthy games, which is a really strong number for a tight end. He, I mean, he is a big freak athlete. He's still only like 26 years old or something. He came into the league so young. So I know it's kind of been a disappointing, what, I think five years to his career so far, but he's still super young. I think there's, there's reasons he hasn't delivered yet. And I think, I think he's in a really strong spot this season to probably have his most productive season of his career. I'll, yeah, go ahead, Adam. No, when I draft quarterbacks early, because I'm with you, Dan, like, I prioritize it more this year. But every time someone else drafts Deshaun Watson later, I go, oh, why didn't I just do that? <laughs> I understand it. I, I'm I'm on the same boat as you and Jared. I just feel like everything we've been told here, it's, first of all, just one more quick th- aside. I feel like one of the reasons we got Miami so wrong last year as a consensus, I don't know where you guys were at on them, is at least for me, I saw McDaniel coming over and I felt like there was an opportunity for them to be similar to the 49ers offense, which is so run heavy. Even now you look at the splits and Shanahan's run rate over expected is still super high. It's one of the reasons I'm still high on McCaffrey, despite Mitchell taking up so many snaps, but it was the opposite. They were such a pass heavy team. And I just feel like that's where you can really get an edge in fantasy football. When you predict that, when you predict the team that goes from very run heavy to very pass heavy. And I feel like Cleveland is in that transition right now. We're going to see it in front of our eyes this year. They just needed Deshaun to play more efficiently last year, which he wasn't, but now he has the full off season. And now he has different weapons in the offense. You talk about some of the players you want to target, Adam, Jared mentioned David Njoku. I'm taking late round flyers in almost every draft in Eli Moore and Cedric Tillman, two players who I evaluated in college, really freaking good on tape. They haven't, Eli Moore hasn't had a good opportunity. He's played with Zach Wilson his whole career. <laughs> now he has Deshaun Watson. And as far as Cedric Tillman goes, if you just look at the 2021 tape and throw out 2022 when he was injured and playing through a high ankle sprain and Jalen Hyatt kind of took over there in Tennessee, he looked like a first-round talent. He plays above the rim. He can get vertical. And these are all traits that work well for at least the Deshaun Watson we saw in Houston. If he can get back to being that vertical thrower that I know he can be Deshaun Watson, that means a lot for a player like Tillman and potentially even Eli Moore as well. Obviously Cooper too, but I'm excited about both those guys as late-round dart throws. All right, Jacob, do my job. All right, um, I've got a, just to finish up the Browns discussion here, I want to ask uh, Jared first. Nick Chubb, Ramondre Stevenson, who we're going to talk about a lot later, and I know you like a lot, Jared, or Tony Pollard. Is Chubb the clear guy out of those guys? Um, I think in full, P- I'm trying to pull up my rankings, I think in full PPR I actually have Chubb just behind Stevenson and Pollard. I have Stevenson highest among those three right now. Mm. I, I know there's this. Third most among team. running backs. Sorry to cut you off. How crazy is that? That's yeah. the most amazing stat. I was looking into targets the other day for running backs. I couldn't believe Ramondre Stevenson had the third most targets last year. 
Yeah, I'm a little worried that could drop without a third down, down roll. roll. Without yeah. a third down roll, that you know, right? Of without even being in on the third, third down. down. But why Jared, did you say that could drop Jacob? J- well, okay, go ahead, J- go ahead, Jacob. Yeah, they're talking about getting him off the field a lot more, particularly on third downs. Yeah. Um, and he did play on third downs quite a bit last year. Um, so for Ty Montgomery, though, I don't know if I buy Ty Montgomery having yeah. a real role. <laughs> we'll we'll yeah. see. This is where I mean, this is where I wonder about projections versus are you know are we overthinking it because i can't put him ahead of nick chubb like nick chubb is clearly one of the best running backs in football stevenson i don't know i mean i just don't think he's an explosive player he took a huge step i didn't think he was very good after his rookie year he his longest carry of his rookie year was 21 yards i usually completely avoid those guys he did have a lot more pop last year but i'm not really sure what to make of him um, and I never, ever thought Ramondre Stevenson was a guy who profiled as a oh, someone who was going to catch a lot of passes. So I, ha- it's almost like I, I feel like it's how I felt about Antonio Gibson when everybody was super, super high on him. I didn't know if he could repeat that. Um, so And then, like, I just feel like Pollard is just... Pollard is so good, and the Cowboys are a running back fantasy point factory year after year. And they're, I think even if they slow it down, I still think they're going to have a really good offense. So... You know, um, I feel like if this is a regression show, I don't think there will be as many catches for Andre Stevenson. He would be last for me, but I don't want to be. I feel like I'm the lowest on Stevenson. I don't want to be. But, Jared, if we were just sitting there evaluating them as running backs, still a lot to be determined about who Stevenson is and if Pollard, who Pollard yeah. is with a bigger role. I do think he'd be last, though, and I can't. And I have, yeah, I have, I have less faith in his offense too. Like the Patriots, why they just signed Devontae Parker to a three-year deal? What they suck. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know. You want to talk a little bit more about these three players? Well, no, I'm, I'm with you in terms of talent. I'd rank them exactly opposite how I rank them in fantasy. I'd go Chubb, yeah. Pollard, Stevenson. But you know, fantasy football is an opportunity game, and just the, the numbers I'm looking at right now. Again, this is assuming New England doesn't add anything else, which they, they definitely could. I mean, I think mm-hmm. Fortnite could could head there and mm-hmm. steal some passing down work from from Stevenson too. So we'll see where that all goes. But um, you know, St- Stevenson. If you look at some some of the stuff like you know rush yards over expected and elusive rating, he was really good as a runner last year, and he was also you know good enough in the passing game. I think the Patriots' offense will be better this season than last, just having a legit offensive coordinator there. Yes. I don't think it's going to be an awesome offense, but I think it could be a league average offense. So that that would only be good news for Stevenson's you know touchdown opportunity. Completely agree with that. I think it's a little odd too that we're getting Nick Chubb at probably the most discounted price we've got him at in a while, and yet this is the first time we have him without Kareem Hunt. I think, I, like think I, I actually think he was going later last year. Was he going later? Okay. Um, I yeah, I think he was early. really slept on last year because okay. because they had Jacoby Brissett, you know, right. and people were right. very worried about them. And uh, no matter what, Chubb like. Unless he starts catching more passes, he's probably not going to be a top five per game running back in PPR. But he's probably not going to be any lower than ten. He's just he's just the same awesome player every year. That's my yep, take on fair. it. With more upside now, because do we think, you know, do we think that Cleveland's going to throw him the ball more? That's my thought. They're going to throw him the ball more, and they're going to be in scoring position more often and playing with better tempo. And I think all those things are possible. It's kind of why Nick Chubb's one of my favorite targets at running back this year for sure. Yeah, I have a Chubb and then Ramondre and then Pollard, but um, it, it's kind of contingent on what happens if Dallas doesn't sign anyone. Pollard would be at the top of that list for me. There's that. I have my concerns with Pollard. I've, I have my concerns with him handling a workload that those two above him I think can handle for sure, and I have concerns with him coming back from the injury that I guess many people don't have right now. All right, Jacob, what's our next topic here? We're going to talk about some player uh, regression candidates with touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the wide receiver and tight end position. Um, 
players who maybe should have scored more receiving touchdowns and then a couple who um, we want to watch out for regression for sure. I'm going to kind of frame this conversation through the lens of touchdown per reception ratio, which is simply the amount of their receptions that result in touchdowns. And on that note, I want to bring up some important context that average depth of target really makes a difference here. So with an A dot below eight yards, um, the average touchdown per reception rate was 5.7. That went up to 7.8% on A dot eight to 12 yards. And then with an A dot above 12 yards, 10.2%. So almost twice as high as an A dot below eight yards. So for example, Amonra St. Brown had a 5.7% rate last year compared to 5.9% for Tyreek Hill. Um, and you might look at them and they're, you know, they're both elite receivers. They both had a low rate in this category. So you might think they're both equally likely to score more touchdowns last year. But if you, you know, frame that within the context of their average depth of target, Amonra's rate was 50th percentile among receivers with an A dot below eight yards. And Tyreek Hill's rate was actually higher, but was only sixth percentile. Like we mentioned at the top of the episode among receivers with an average depth target of 12 or more yards. Um, so that's important to bring up. And then I just want to quickly list off some of these rates. Um, so some players with notably low rates last year, we have Chris Godwin at 2.9%. So even among wide receivers with an dot below eight yards, that was sixth percentile. Um, this is this is touchdown rate. This is touchdowns touchdown, yeah, per, just simply touchdown rate. Yeah. Per catch or per target? Per catch. Okay. Yeah. So 2.9% for Chris Godwin, 3.8% for Juju. Um, and he had 16 red zone targets with only one red zone touchdown. Juju Smith-Schuster, only Deontay Johnson had a worse conversion rate in the red zone. Just wanted to bring that up. I think that's interesting potentially for Kadarius Tony or whichever Kansas City receiver you want to take a, a late round flyer on. Um, Michael Pittman, only 4%. Uh, Deontay Johnson obviously did not score a touchdown all year, which is insane because he actually had a lot of red zone targets. Um, Pat Fryermuth, 3.2% was 6th percentile among tight ends. Uh, Tyreek Hill, we already mentioned 5.9%. Garrett Wilson, 4.8%, 15th percentile among wide receivers in his ADOP bracket. And then the guy I wanted to end on, um, I'm, feel free to chime in on any of these guys, Jared, but the guy I wanted to end on and talk about specifically was DK Metcalf. So DK Metcalf's rate was 6.7%. His career rate prior to 2022 was 13.5%. Uh, only six touchdowns last year on a career high of 141 targets. He led the NFL in red zone target share. He was third in total red zone targets. Um, but the touchdowns just weren't there. And I think we all could see Seattle's offense being quite a bit better last, uh, than they were last year, potentially this year. And I, 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 it wouldn't surprise me at all if Metcalf scores 15 touchdowns this year. Yeah. I think that's totally within his range of outcomes. I went back and watched all 27 of Metcalf's red zone targets, and it was really, really frustrating. He easily could have had double-digit touchdowns <laughs> last year. Um, it, and yeah, second year with Geno Smith, um, it wouldn't surprise me if the connection is a lot cleaner this year. I like that. Yeah, Jared, what do you think about that, uh, the, some of those players? Anyone jump out at you? Well, just starting with the Seahawks, I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm big, big in on Tyler Lockett at cost. I'm also above market on DK Metcalf for that specific reason that Jacob mentioned. He did underachieve in the touchdown department last season. If you're into expected touchdowns, DK yes. was third among all wide receivers with 10 and a half expected touchdowns last year. And expected touchdowns, just look at, you know, where the targets are coming. So, you know, target inside the 10 is worth a lot more than a target from the 50 yard line. You're more likely to score on the target inside the 10. So 10.5 expected touchdowns for DK and just six actual, actual touchdowns. So that's just another way to frame, you know, how he underachieved in the touchdown 
department last year. I do wish that DK was getting the um, Jackson Smith and Jigba discount that Tyler Lockett's getting. Yeah. For some reason, like everyone's like discounting Lockett for JSM, but not really moving Metcalf's price. But I still think Metcalf is at a pretty fair price in drafts right now. Yeah, I, there's actually a stat I was wondering if you guys ever look at. And for two of the players you mentioned, Jacob, Deontay Johnson and DK Metcalf, it's yards after catch per catch. For DK Metcalf, uh, I think I'm on Deontay Johnson first. Deontay Johnson in, in four seasons, his yak per catch, 5.2 yards, 4.5, 4.9, 2.7. Yes. Mm. For DK 4.7, 4.4, 4.4, 2.4 yards after catch per catch. I've seen this before. I don't remember any specific examples, but it is not predictive. I, I would certainly expect more yak per catch. There's really no reason why it was so low for Deontay. Now, Deontay's A dot was higher. So, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of times with a higher A dot, you get fewer yards after the catch, but that's going to come up. That was just weird. He was doing nothing after the catch uh, for much of last year and Metcalf, too. And Metcalf's certainly capable of it. So, I think that's interesting stuff there. Yeah, that was interesting. I, I really haven't looked at it in that lens either. So that's good good context. Even, even with even with even with Metcalf, his ADOT was down yes. last year. You that, way that down his, last year, yeah. That makes his uh, yards after catch per catch even more surprising. Right. But he's not yeah, it's funny because maybe he's not the kind of guy who should be having shorter targets. Like maybe he just needs to like get a deep ball and then run another I don't know, I'm just spitballing here. But it no, still it wasn't sense. it wasn't that low. It was eleven point two yards, but that's still by far the lowest of his career. Um, all right, Jacob. Uh, sorry, Dan. I just want to move along here because we have so many yeah, players to talk about. Jacob, who else in the re- touchdown regression category? Well, just one more note on Deontay Johnson. He accounted for forty-four <laughs> percent of Pittsburgh's end zone targets while on the field, which was the sixth highest rate, and he had zero touchdowns. So it's not just that like he had a lot of targets in general and somehow scored zero. Like he was getting red zone and end zone opportunities. It's really like a freak outlier what we saw last year from him. Um. Yeah, that's pretty much it on the guys who um, should score more. On the other side of things, these are 80th percentile players in terms of their um, touchdown rate. Um, Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, Travis Kelsey, Tyler Lockett, Jamar Chase. Those are guys that pretty much always get there, but um, they were really, really high last year. Um, I'm I'm actually a little bit worried about Tyler Lockett. Um, I I like him at price, um, but from a projection standpoint, I struggle with him. And then the two guys I specifically wanted to talk about are George Kittle, which I'm going to throw that to Jared. He <laughs> had an 18.3% touchdown rate last video. year. I saw the video. I saw the video. Absolutely nuts. <laughs> um, and then Christian Kirk, um, I want to throw that to Dan after we talk about Chris, uh, George Kittle. He had a 10% rate. And so outside of him, Jacksonville really struggled with their scoring opportunities. But Kirk was really efficient um, on his red zone targets, on his deep targets as well. Um, he's a player who I really really think might regress a lot this year. But um, Jared, why don't you start us off with George Kittle? Yeah, there are a lot of reasons I'm out on Kittle this season. Um, we don't have to talk about him all today. We'll just keep it to the touchdowns, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, Jacob said it, 18.3% touchdown rate. League average, for just for all tight ends, is around 8.5%. And then you know, even Kittle in his first five NFL seasons, 6.0% touchdown rate. He was always a guy we were like, you know, why isn't George Kittle scoring more touchdowns? It kind of all bounced back in his favor last year, and he scored at an absurd rate. So I think that's coming way down. Again, there are other reasons to be worried about George Kittle, but he's going way too high for me in drafts right now. So let me uh, me follow up on that because, you know, I think maybe I just live in this uh, alternate reality, but to me, you know, 
all the analysts are so good these days and and the fantasy managers are are they know what they're doing too and i feel like everybody kind of knows that we shouldn't expect kittle to be the second best tight end he was the second best tight end in fantasy and we kind of you know everyone kind of understands i think the target competition's really tough in san francisco so i'm wondering you say you're out on him and i also sort of want to be out on him but at what point is he priced fairly because i'm i'm looking at nfc adp and he's tight end 4 but he's not going until 57th overall so that's like the yeah. end of round five. That's still a little early for me. The next ones off the board are Pitts and Goddard and Darren Waller, who are in the 70s. Um, but when would you feel comfortable taking Kittle? Because I would say that the ADP doesn't really match the production. He was on a per-game basis tight end two last year, and he's nowhere near Andrews or Hawkinson in ADP. Yeah, I mean, I prefer Pitts, Goddard, and Waller all straight up wow. over Kittle. Okay. So I mean, I'm just I'm just Figure not drafting him unless he goes, <laughs> you know, two to three rounds late later than ADP. Yeah, yeah. Um, I for me, I just don't really. I'm see taking him huge... over Goddard, but he he. Yeah, I don't see a huge difference between any of those four really. So sure, you really should be waiting at that. point. Well, I think there's a. Ch- I know nobody wants to get on board with this, but there's a chance that of those four tight ends, let's just break it down to this. What are we looking for in fantasy? We're looking for target volume mostly, right? That's the best way to project points. It's the best way to project production. Of those four, do any of them potentially have the opportunity to rack up 100 triple-digit targets and be the number one option in that offense? To me, there is one player. And so I kind of love that player. What would you say? Waller. Waller Waller has nothing around him. I think Pitts. he's on a team that's going to want to throw more. But Pitts is on a team that runs the ball, the second highest run rate over expected. And that's not changing. They drafted B. John Robinson. But you don't think he can get 100 targets? I'm not asking for 130 here. I think he can get 100 targets. I'm fine. Let me rephrase that. Who can be the number one option on the offense? Yeah. Darren Waller can be the number one option (laughs) in his offense, potentially. You take him over Pitts and and Goddard? I take him over all of those guys, except for maybe Goddard, who I love as a talent. Ooh, yeah, yeah. yeah. High on Darren Waller. He was in my bold predictions as he can be the tight end too this year. Jacob, what do I you like, think? I like that. Obviously, um, I'm close to the team, so like it's part of it. But they're using him in OTAs all over the place. There's constantly moving him in motion. There's no one else on that offense who did anything last year that was notable for fantasy. How can I just feel like no other tight end in this situation is in this situation except for Kelsey? I have Pitts ahead of Waller, but um, they're very close, and then there's a clear tier breakdown to uh, Kittle and Goddard, in my opinion. Okay. The reason I bring up Kittle, I think you're right. It is priced in. People don't expect him to be tight end two, but just looking at his game log, he played 15 games, and he had fewer than 50 yards in 10 of them. He had fewer than 30 yards in eight yeah. of 15 games. Oh, yeah. And so if the touchdowns do fall off, it's just going to be like maddeningly inconsistent on a week-to-week basis, <laughs> and I, I would just rather wait to draft a tight end if that's what I'm going to be dealing with. Yeah, I mean, remember my uh, fantasy Jeopardy clue, Dan? It was like <laughs> he God, hasn't been so between he hasn't been between forty and seventy yards in any game in the last two seasons. I think wow. that it's is like crazy. He, I don't know if that's exactly true, but it's very There's close. No floor. Yeah, it's either below no forty floor. or over seventy. It's crazy. That, by the way, is what I feel like is going to be the case for a player you mentioned, Jacob Christian Kirk. Who I'm not high on at all this year. I just feel like. Besides Calvin Ridley in that offense, I don't know if we're going to get a weekly floor from any player there. Even ETN scares me. He's eight. Like, if you look at this project, the trajectory for Christian Kirk in his first season with Jacksonville, the beginning of the season when they were still kind of figuring that all out, that offense first year for Trevor Lawrence with Doug Peterson, Christian Kirk was moved all over the place. He was playing a ton of slot. He was the first read. And as that season progressed, we saw some Zay Jones breakout games. We saw some Evan Ingram breakout games. And like you mentioned. 
on top of all that, the potential for touchdown regression with with Christian Kirk, I I don't see it at his price. I know a lot of people really like him at his price. I saw some people say they would draft him over Calvin Ridley. To me, that's just like something I wouldn't even never even consider. Uh, but see, the touchdown regression for me, Jared, for Jacksonville is with Trevor Lawrence because he threw 25 touchdowns. If we're projecting a big breakout for him, and I don't know if you are or not, but a lot of people obviously are, you know, he's going to have to be 32 or more touchdowns, I would say. So, you know, maybe the rate, maybe the touchdown rate isn't there for Kirk, but the overall touchdowns are there for the team, and he benefits and maybe stays at the same level of touchdowns. I don't know. How does that... Because we can't just project the same passing stats for Trevor Lawrence this year, right? So how does that work with the regression factor? I mean, I expect Lawrence to be better this year, right? I mean, his third season, second season under Peterson, you add Calvin Ridley to the mix. Um, Lawrence had a 4.3% touchdown rate last year. So that's like, that's like league average. So I mean, that, that could even climb. I, I, I don't know what to make of Calvin Ridley. We've barely seen the guy in the last two years. Like if he's the guy he was last time we saw him in, what was it? 2020 or whatever it was, then he he's like the alpha there. He's a 25% target share guy. And that's really bad news for Christian Kirk. If Ridley isn't that guy anymore, then I think, you know, Kirk could be okay. He's wide receiver 24 in ADP right now. It's a little high for me, but again, it, to me, it all comes down to what Calvin Ridley has at this point. Does anybody see this offense as being, you know, with Ridley and Kirk being, I'm not going to say AJ Brown and Devontae Smith, but what about Metcalf and Lockett? Uh, something like that. Both That's- must start guys. That's exactly how Kirk played last year was like Tyler Lockett with, you know, elite efficiency on the opportunities that he got. And if he does it again, then, yeah, it would be exactly like that. I just think think it's a possibility. It's a possibility, but I don't think it happens with Zay Jones and Evan Ingram having roles in that offense. Yeah, I'm I'm not buying into it. I have Christian Kirk ranked as wide receiver 32. Um, I think 24 is way too high. I have trouble like with Zay Jones versus Christian Kirk. Obviously, I would take Christian Kirk over him, but there's such Mm -hmm. a big gap in their ADP. It just doesn't make that much sense to me. Yeah, I'm with that. They were they were closer in terms of fantasy points and target share last year than than their ADPs right. right now would suggest. Yeah, it is true. Yeah, so on the Christian Kirk note, we'll just go ahead and dive into deep deep catch regression candidates. So these are targets of 15 or more air yards, and he tied Justin Jefferson for the league high with a 63 percent deep catch rate. Um, I think his rate is usually going to be a little bit higher than other players because he's running a lot of those deep routes over the middle compared to um, on the perimeter. Um, if you look at the other players with rates that high, it's Travis Kelsey, T. Higgins, Jay Waddle, CeeDee Lamb, Tyree Kill. So all of the best players in the NFL and Christian Kirk. Um, so if, choos- if choosing anyone from that list to regress, it's probably him for me. Okay, and will you explain that stat one more time? Just in case. Yeah. It's their catch rate on deep targets, 15-plus air yards, um, what percentage of those targets they caught. And all those players were at 58% or higher. Christian Kirk was at 63. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's just something that's definitely going to regress. Like players that are at 60% are almost never over 60% the next year, even the Devontae Adams, Jesse Jefferson types. Um, On the other side of that, we have the worst catch rates on deep targets, not nearly as fun to talk about, 16% for Kyle Pitts. 16% 16% of his deep targets were caught. 21% for Chase Claypool, Marvin Jones, 27% for Deontay Johnson. His name just continues to pop up. So the question really is, is he just not good? Um, or is this all going to turn around? I mean, he's like clearly undervalued. Um, and the Brandon Ayuk at 29%. I wanted to bring up Ayuk specifically because I what I looked at 
was the highest off target rate on their deep targets. And he had the second highest rate among qualified players, which really surprised me. DJ Moore was the highest at 55%. And then Brandon Ayuk was next highest. Is that something that you guys would have expected? I would have not expected Brandon Ayuk to make that list by any means. <laughs> well, but it's kind of a, yeah. it's kind of a, a list of, quarter, of the quarterback receivers. Yeah, it's just a great so, point. Adam. So I'm not surprised. Receivers whose quarterbacks can't get them the football. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And unfortunately, I'm not sure it's going to get any better. It wasn't really like Purdy. I mean, Purdy was Kittle. That's when Kittle went nuts. Right. And Purdy's not last year anyway. Was not throwing the ball downfield very much. Doesn't have a very strong arm. So. You know, I think people love Brandon Ayuk. You just heard what the 49ers were saying about him. Like, he's an absolute stud. I just wonder if the, this team is the situation for him to realize his potential. Um, but he, he's kind of an, I think he's a bit of an afterthought in drafts. And probably shouldn't yeah. be. Jared, what do you think about Ayuk? Yeah, I, I always come in lower than market on 49ers just because of the low pass volume and because of all the targets they have. I mean, Christian McCaffrey's added to the mix now, too. I, I don't have it in front of me, but I did I did look at Ayuk's target share with and without McCaffrey last year, and it obviously took a pretty significant hit. So it's just like, I mean, one or two of those guys could pay off at cost, but like it's almost impossible for them all to pay off at cost unless you expect the 49ers to pass it a bunch more than they, than they have in the past few seasons. When both when all the the weapons were healthy for the 49ers, I have this number in front of me because I was doing it for our running back show, are were healthy last year. Here's how the target share was. Debo Samuel led the team with 34, Ayuk 26, McCaffrey 26, Kittle 21, and then Jawan Jennings had 15. So it was pretty, pretty spread out right there. Mm-hmm. So I just want to bring up one thing because we talk about the 49ers about being a low pass volume team all the time. <clears throat> but the last two seasons when Garoppolo has been healthy for a lot of it. They have actually been 13th and 15th in gross passing yards per game. So they do not throw the ball that much, but they are so damn efficient. They're almost always at the top of yards per attempt that yep. it's not that bad of an offense. It's not like we're talking about the Falcons here. Like They do give you a lot of yards. This is important to understand your format because you're not going to get as many catches because they don't throw that much but you're not talking about a bad passing offense, at least when Garoppolo has been healthy. You are talking about a middle-of-the-pack passing offense just in terms of gross passing yards. And if you go to like pro football reference and you look at passing yards, that includes sacks. So right. if you take the sacks out of it, I mean, it's not going to change that much. They're middle of 13th and 15th in gross passing yards per game. It's something to keep in mind. You get probably more production than you realize because they're not throwing that much, but they're doing it at such an yeah. efficient clip. That's fair. And the Niners have even had guys like C.J. Bathard and Nick Mullins throw yes. for eight yards per attempt. Right. <laughs> I mean, if you don't think Purdy's good or you think like Darnold's going to see the field at some point this season, doesn't like, matter. Shanahan's system is so good. Yeah, It really doesn't matter. I've been saying for years how bad Jimmy Garoppolo is at actually. At I really, we're I, gonna I, find out this year. I have nothing against Jimmy Garoppolo, but I do I like do. you better than him, and I'm hoping that he struggles this year because you need to be right about this. Because if he goes out and is good, <laughs> the annoying thing is that McDaniel's is like the only possible system he could have potentially fit in. <laughs> Every other system, but McDaniel's and and Shanahan, I think he would have been horrible. And I still think he's gonna be bad. And you're system. never gonna worried. have to disproove that because like that that theory can't be disproven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you see how I pick these pick these takes. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Jacob, what else we got? Yeah, I just wanted to finish the AU conversation by saying the real reason I bring it up is for dynasty purposes. Um, we had Matt Harmon on the show, and he's just like in love with Brandon. You can go read his reception perception profile, and now you get really exciting. And just to contextualize how bad it, it really has been, like there were only two players above 40%, him and DJ Moore. Um, and on that note, two players with an off-target rate on their deep targets above 40%, 43% Ayuk, 55% DJ Moore. Guess wow. what Kyle Pitts' rate was? 
He didn't have enough targets target. to qualify. I saw 19, your tweet. What was 19 it? deep targets. 74% <laughs> of them are off target. <laughs> and it checks out. If you watch Mariota on film, it was the, <laughs> the biggest disaster in football last year. I just don't know that Desmond Ritter is going to be that much better. Right. I don't like Desmond Ritter at all. Yeah. It's bad. I don't know either. This well, is another dynasty note, really, because like it's it's been as bad as it could possibly have been for Kyle Pitts, yeah. specifically last year. That's a really that's, good way of putting it. What'd you say? That's it's a, a really good, good way one. of putting it. Like you have to put that in perspective. It's, and you think of it like that, like it can't get worse. And that's similar to the Deontay Johnson Fryer move stuff because it's like, can it not get worse? Can he pick it at 10 touchdowns in what 14 games last year? But I just don't know when you watch these guys on tape, like if they're things are definitely gonna get better with Pittsburgh. I feel a little bit better about Atlanta, I guess. But with Pittsburgh or, or, and um whoever we mentioned before, with Pittsburgh, it's like they're bringing back the same offensive system, the same offensive line. No, Why oh, they I added Sayamalu at guard. They did That's add Sayamalu. Big, big I'm addition. That from Philly. Yeah. Yes. Eh, big addition, maybe. Maybe he was just between four elite offensive linemen and looked okay. <laughs> but I don't know. It's hard to explain. He's got Lane Johnson on one side and Jason Kelsey, two Hall of Famers, to the, le- to the left and right. Him. But Kenny Pickett is was not good on tape last year. And it's like, am I expecting with the same system him to take this huge jump with Matt Canada? Not really. No. And so that, I, it's hard for me to like yeah. – they have to be better, yes, but is, does that make them fantasy relevant is the question. The thing with Pittsburgh is they, the second half of the season, they shifted and they were they were super run heavy. And, yeah. and they've talked about wanting to continue that way in 2023. So like I, I get it with Deontay. He's like the ultimate positive regression candidate. But I'm still not super high on him just because I don't love just the that, that passing game in general. Same. So uh, how much does this statistic mean to you? Because I'm looking now at off-target percentage uh, for quarterbacks – 15 yards, 15 air yards or more, right? Um, obviously, based on what Jacob said about Kyle Pitts, it shouldn't surprise you that Marcus Mariota had the highest off-target percentage among qualified quarterbacks, 37.3%. Number Second worst was Lamar Jackson. Third worst, Matthew Stafford. Fourth worst, Baker Mayfield. And then Justin Fields. Because we've mentioned DJ Moore's name a, a several times, I feel like, in this show, Jacob, or maybe I'm confusing it with this morning, but I know you just said it. Uh, and we haven't even talked about him. So maybe DJ Moore will make Justin Fields a better passer downfield. Maybe we shouldn't care about Justin Fields through two seasons because this is, you know, a lot of times when a quarterback makes a big leap. But that just that stat right there that that DJ Moore had a low catch rate on deep throws and now he's being paired with the guy who is the fifth worst in the NFL off target rate uh, on deep throws. That's not a good thing. Does that matter to you, Jacob? It's not a good thing. I am not optimistic about more, um, especially from a projection standpoint. We talked with Ben Gretsch and JJ Zachary about that last week. Um, Jared, I'm curious if you have a take on DJ Moore, um, the potential for Fields to take a step forward, and what you think of the Bears' offense in general. Yeah, this all comes down to how much more you think they're going to pass, right? Like they're they're going to pass more. They almost have to because they were yeah. so run happy last year. And I think DJ Moore, like DJ Moore, is going to get 28 plus percent of the targets there. I feel comfortable projecting that. But it's like even if you give them a 30% target share at their pass rate from last season, that still doesn't even get more to you know where he is in ADP right now. So I'm I'm, I'm below field on more at this point. Um, it, he he's a, he's dropping an ADP by the way. Mm-hmm. I think he's like wide receiver 26 on underdog over the past few weeks, which is down like five or six spots from where he was um, a few months ago. So I'll be curious to see where his price goes over the next next couple months. But um, I'm uh, I'm, I'm probably going to be, be below. ADP on, on DJ Moore, even at 26, because I think I'd be pretty. 26 is about where I have him. So okay. if he does exactly. like, settle there, I think it's okay. 
Yeah, that's exactly yeah. where I have him. I think there's enough upside that you could take a shot there. Sure. All right. I don't think we took our second break. Did we not take it, Thomas Schaefer? Did we take no. our second break? We didn't take our second break. <laughs> Let's take our second break. We got about 10 minutes left, Jacob. We'll be right back on Fantasy Football Today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We have taken our second break. Okay, Jacob, what's next? Uh, We're going to talk about rushing touchdown regression candidates. So we're going to look at the red zone touchdown rate, the percentage of the red zone touches that resulted in a touchdown some outliers on the high and low end. So the highest rate was Ezekiel Elliott. We've talked about him a lot. 29% of his red zone touches turned into touchdowns, which is especially impressive with the amount of uh, volume that he got there. Same thing with Jamal Williams, obviously, resulted in a huge total, 27%. And then 25% for James Conner, Derrick Henry, Tony Pollard, and Jarek McKinnon. So again, we see the two Cowboys at the top. I was surprised to see James Conner there, but he just keeps doing it. We keep saying he's going to regress and he keeps scoring touchdowns at an insane rate. On the low side of things, 8% for Tyler Algier, 9% for Travis Etienne, Jonathan Taylor, and Alvin Kamara, and 11% for Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Pierce. We're definitely going to talk about those last two guys. Um, I think it's interesting that some of these guys who performed poorly in this category immediately got another backfield mate added to the mix. Um, is there anyone on the high or low end that stands out to you, Jared? Well, James Conner is a guy that, I reluctantly draft a lot. It never feels good, right? Because, like, he's old. He's always hurt. He hasn't really been efficient the past couple of years. But, like, he was, a, he was a top 12 running back when he was healthy last season just because of the sheer volume he was getting. And I, I kind of think he's going to get that level of volume again. Um, you know, maybe he does regress in the touchdown department. But I'm not really drafting him for touchdowns. I don't think the Cardinals offense is going to be very good, especially until Kyler gets back, you know, close to 100%. But um, you know, ju- just – Based on volume and cost, Connor's a guy I'm, I'm kind of into. RB26 might be able to get him in anywhere from the 6th to the 8th round. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like that's not going to last because everybody, everyone I talk to is like, yeah, I want James Conner. But right now it's lasting, so that's terrific, terrific value for James Conner. Um what a sick game! What a sick game that we play, where everyone that you talk to is like, "Yeah, yeah I want James Conner." <laughs> well, <laughs> no I think it's, what are we doing? I think he's underrated. I mean, you know, why is why are people so low on James Conner? I understand that they're they're worried about the Cardinals' offense, but I, what I would point out is that we already saw him last year without yeah. Kyler Murray on like the worst one of the worst offenses in football. They were awful, and he was an absolute stud. So you're not even drafting him to be that. I just don't really know. Jared, I will say like, one oh, thing ahead, yeah, on yeah. that regard. I bat, I've bashed. Um, I'm blanking on his name. Not McCoy. Uh, that's who their old coordinator was. Mike McCoy. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury. Kingsbury. Yeah. 
on multiple occasions in the past because I thought he ran one of the worst offenses in football from a schematic standpoint. But the one thing I did give him credit for just from the times I've seen his offense on film was his designs in the run game. I actually thought he designed a pretty good run game. And I think that helped James Conner. Before that, it helped Chase Edmonds kind of get uh, you know a little bit of fantasy appeal. So I'm a little bit worried about transitioning offenses for the run game personally. Um, they go more traditional style run game. I don't know if that's going to help James Conner. So I would say that would be my concern. A player you mentioned on that list, Jacob, that I have to bring up every time I hear his name because he, you would assume it's going to be positive regression here, but I don't. You hate Travis Etienne. You hate Travis Etienne. I don't understand Travis Etienne's appeal whatsoever. But Travis Etienne in the red zone was a disaster last year. He's not a good red zone back. He doesn't process his blocks well. He's not a physical runner. They brought in a, a player in Tank Bigsby who is a physical runner who processes blocks and is efficient in the red zone. Would you keep playing a guy like Travis Etienne who literally cost you a game against the Giants when he fumbled through the end zone on like second and goal? You act like he's the only guy who ever fumbled. You're drafting Ramondre Stevenson in the second no, round. Do you, the do you remember the Bengals game? He is one of the Bengals least game. efficient red zone running backs. Do you remember though? the Bengals game? Was as well. Do you remember yeah, the Bengals game? What happened with Ramondre Stevenson? He fumbled at like the six-yard line. They were going to yes. upset the Bengals. He fumbled four times in his last six games, by the way, Ramondre Stevenson. So I, I will not have this Travis Etienne slander like he's the only running back who's ever fumbled. Not the only running back who ever fumbled the end zone, but he is one of the, we was one of the most uh, least efficient running backs in the red zone last year. Yeah, you're right. I, you're right. And I don't see any reason why Jacksonville is going to keep trotting him out there when they have Tank Bigsby on the roster. All right, Jacob, do don't... me a favor. Do, set an yeah. over-under for Travis Etienne as RB blank. Um, 15. I, I'm taking the over- like in a it, immediate 15. over. Oh, 15. We're draft, people are drafting him in the third and fourth round. That's, that's where RB15 goes. He's my RB17. Yeah. He's RB thirteen on NFC. I'll still take the under. I don't see many. Good. Passes That's here. my point. You you take the under. I'll take the he over. Had five touchdowns last year. We'll I talk think. in January. Uh, what did he have? Five touchdowns, right combined, with like thirteen hundred yards, fourteen hundred. I'll take the under on the touchdowns. I'll take the over. I'll take the over on everything. <laughs> on Ramondre, um, he really profiles kind of similarly. I think Adam bring him up as a fair comparison. So um, thirty six red zone touchdowns, only four red zone t- uh, or thirty six red zone touches, only four red zone touchdowns last year. The NFL average rate on rushes inside the five, the conversion rate was 42%. Ramondre was at 23%, um, which was tied with Travis Etienne. Only Kenneth Walker was worse at 20%. Um, On the positive side of things, we should have better offensive line play, potentially more red zone trips. Um, The Patriots were 28th in red zone drives, and they were dead last in red zone touchdown conversion rate. So if the red zone work is still his, Ramondre could definitely score a lot more. And Jared, is that kind of what you're expecting? I know you're pretty bullish on Armandre this year. Yeah, I mean, he, and he's a big back too, so I don't really see a reason why he should be you know, less efficient than average at least near the end zone. Damian Harris is gone as well. I think he saw like five or six carries inside the 10 last season. So yeah, I definitely think we should get more touchdowns out of Stevenson this year. Okay, that's, that's the new bet, new bet. <laughs> it's ET, ETN versus Stevenson. I will even I'm taking that at a loss here because ETN is going behind Stevenson. Everyone likes Stevenson oh. better. I will take ETN over Stevenson Schneier. Okay, we can do a side bet on that. We'll discuss it on a mailbag show. I'll, I'll, I don't even love Stevenson this year at all. Oh, you took him in the second round. I'll pick basically anyone over ETN. Okay. Basically <laughs> anyone. By the way, we really, should. I don't we really should see not, the path, I don't get it. We should not gloss over Ken Walker's inclusion on that list, Jacob, because like, yeah, that's a that's a concern with yeah. Jack Charbonnet in town. 
Yeah, no, absolutely worst um, inside the five and then also inside the 10. He only scored on 13% of his touches, which was also the worst. Travis Etienne was the next worst at 17%. And then, yeah, they draft Charbonnet, who is um, a much higher um, success rate guy. He's better at getting um, easy yards, and I, I think it's totally valid that he could take that role from him in the red zone. I will say this. He will take that role from the red zone because he was a great red zone back, but I just find it's completely wild to me that Seattle has two backs who are much better fits for a gap scheme, and they're running just strictly zone at all times there. And obviously, Kenneth Walker wasn't good behind it last year. He was super inefficient, and I don't think they're changing that. So just an odd thing. But Charbonnet, Brandle, they run a little bit of zone at UCLA. They're a good amount, so I think it should be fine. Jacob, let's talk about Damian Pierce. Yes. Your boy. The yeah. breakout, Jacob's favorite player in fan. Is that your favorite value in all of fantasy right now? Um, there are some receivers who I prefer um, oh. that are cheap, but I, I I really thought he fit well for the article for the breakout. Um, okay. So yeah, I just I just wrote about Damian Pierce for the FFT CBS magazine. I have him ranked at RB twelve, so I'm drafting him way ahead of Travis Etienne. I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. I've, obviously, Dan probably agrees, but while healthy and starting across weeks two through thirteen, um, so he didn't start in week one, and then he was injured in week fourteen. He accounted for 53% of Houston's red zone touches. So if you look at red zone touch percentage last year, Josh Jacobs led the league at 50%. Derek Henry was 49%. Austin Eckler, 49%. That's the territory we're talking about for Damian Pierce. Um, The result was only four red zone touchdowns on 34 red zone touches. Um, Only five touchdowns on the year on 250 touches. So the red zone role is there. Um, I really don't think Devin Singletary is the guy to um, vulture that from him. And I just think he's such a major regression candidate. If Houston's offense does improve, which it is almost inevitable. And he was the RB 13 last year during that stretch. He's being drafted as RB 21. So he's the RB 13, even without the touchdowns, even without a functional offense. Um, and that was another note I wanted to point out in Ryan Heath's article. Um, year two running backs absolutely smash. Um, so like, I, I think everything points towards a big year from Damian Pierce. I think he's one of the, he's the clearest value at the running back position. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely taking him over ETN. I love it. You've convinced me on him. I think a few other notes that really will help him in is, or a few other things that will really help him factor-wise. The system they're they're installing there from a schematic standpoint is such a perfect fit for his skill set. It's a wide, it's that Shanahan zone system. I just love to see him. I love to see him run behind that, given his style of running. So I love that. They brought in Shaq Mason, who I think is going to really help that run game as well. So I just think there's good pieces being added there. And if you draft CJ Stroud and you're going to put, I think they're going to put him in this like under center, a lot of play action, heavy style offense. You're going to want to make things easier for him. And Damian Pierce is that guy to do it. So you, you've convinced me on him, Jacob. I've moved him wildly up the board. All right, Jerry, what do you think about, uh, about Damian Pierce? Yeah, I, I like what we saw from Pierce last year. I'm curious to see what the Texans think though, after, you know, giving Devin Singletary that deal. Um, my other concern with Pierce, too, is just how busy and effective is he going to be in the passing game, right? Because if yeah. you look at some of the, the metrics last year, he was not that efficient in the passing game, didn't do a whole lot of that in college. So now, now Devin Singletary is not good in the passing game either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, that, that that's a mark in Pierce's favor. I'm just curious to see exactly how big his workload is going to be. If the Texans, you know, let him be a guy that handles 60 to 70 percent of the backfield work, I could definitely see him finishing as a you know, top 15 back. Well, from week two to two until he got hurt, oh, two through 14, Damian Pierce had 209 carries and the other Houston running backs had 20. <laughs> so you can talk about touchdown regression. It will go up. The carry percentage of carry regression, though, is not going to be on his side. Um, I was curious. Like, I mean, he had a lot of you know pretty big plays. 
and he runs over people and he's violent and he's fun. But he also has a lot of kind of negative plays, kind of held his, his efficiency down a little bit. And he had some really bad games in there as well. So I can't, I don't know. This is again, Jacob, like this is, this is what I was saying. If this is similar to a Ramondre Stevenson versus Tony Pollard argument, because I think Travis, I think very highly of Travis Etienne. And I could understand from a projection standpoint, expecting more touches from Damian Pierce, expecting more touchdowns from Damian Pierce. But I look at the type of player ETN is and the type of offense I'm hoping the Jaguars can become. And I would just prefer to attach myself to that rather than a possible workhorse because Devin Singletary, I think, is a solid player, good backup for the Texans who, yes, they'll be better. I still think they're going to be a bad offense this year. I just do not worry about Singletary at all. Uh, Jared mentioned his how bad he's been as a receiver, but like for context, he's been the worst. If you look at his um, yard per hour and rate since he's in the NFL, it's been the like stone cold worst. Um, and they really didn't give him very much money. He got um, less guaranteed money than you know Samaj P Ryan and Jeff Wilson. One year, yeah. two point seven five million. It's not. I I don't. The way I'm projecting it, he's not going to um, play much of a a role there, but I could be wrong. I think everything lines up well for Pierce and they love him and he's done everything they've asked for. And he, he wasn't very efficient as a receiver, but he was more efficient than his backfield mates in terms of yards per run. And he did draw targets at a decent rate, same rate as Saquon yeah. Barkley in terms of target per run rate. Um, I think everything lines up for him to really smash this year. The, the one thing I would say matters if you're like comparing ETN versus Pierce is you're talking about a first round pick. Versus a fourth round pick, right? Yeah. Like that, that, that does that does matter. It probably shouldn't once they hit the field, but it does matter to NFL teams. Can I ask so a question, the only what, thing to what say if, though is it was a first round pick by a regime that's no longer there. That's true. That's fair. It yep. was, and also I think Pierce was the first pick of the fourth round. So let's just say he had been the last pick of the third round. With that, for some people that might make a difference. Just the label of being a day two pick versus a day three pick would that matter yeah. to you? And sometimes you also can like shift that so fast once you get to the NFL. Like Pierce is a guy who people who watch the tape of at Florida loved. Just love. They thought he was second round talent, but he didn't get a lot of touches at Florida. Yeah. I think he proved that in year one that he is that kind of talent. So it's like that can kind of shift the a little bit. I feel like when you're that late round guy who breaks out early. That's yeah. So he avoided tackles at the highest rate of any running back in the NFL last year. Um, his last year at Florida, his avoided tackle rate was one of the highest of any college football back in the past five years. And another um, efficiency metric that I measure is running backs relative to their running back teammates, their backfield teammates. And his discrepancy was higher than Brees Hall, higher than Kenneth Kenneth Walker in terms of how he's producing relative to his Florida teammates. So like Dan says, everything pointed towards him being an elite talent. We just never saw it for whatever reason. Florida didn't give him that role. And I think that's entirely the reason that he fell is because teams didn't know if he could handle it. But Houston took him and then said, we think you can handle it. And he did. And he continued to be the most the hardest running back to tackle in the NFL until his season ending injury. That was a breakout <laughs> take from J- from Jacob breakout take from Jacob. And you know what, Jacob, I, I will applaud you. That was an excellent article for the magazine. I, I'll say this. We didn't get, we didn't get this year's article from Adam Azer. I don't know what was going on there. No, no article in the magazine. Just ask Azer. for it. Just ask for it. You know, I'll, 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 write, I'll write an article. Jared, what did you learn about Dan Schneier today? I <laughs> Dan, Dan's a man. I love I love his X's and O's take because that's definitely not my um my forte. So I always learn a lot from Dan for real. Oh, Seriously. thank you, Jared. Yeah, yeah. I I learned that he can he can definitely trash Jimmy Garoppolo with the best of them. But I already, <laughs> yeah, I I already knew Garoppolo. that. I already knew that. Um, Jared, thank you very much for coming on. We did learn a lot from mm-hmm. you today. We appreciate it. 
Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. That was fun. And tell thanks, us how Jared. you know how we can follow you and what to look out for. Yeah, at Smola DS on Twitter. Then all my stuff is on Draft Sharks. Definitely check that out. We have our you know full projections up for the season. You can use our um, Draft War Room, which is really sweet. It syncs up to your fantasy league and you know gets you cuts custom rankings based on your league's exact scoring formats. The rankings adjust throughout the draft based on your team needs and who's still available. So that's a really sweet tool that um, everyone should check out. The Draft War Room on Draft Sharks. Cool. All right, and last question for you, Jared. If you're starting a league, redraft league, not dynasty, not keeper or anything, yes or no to kickers, yes or no to, D, uh, to DSTs? No to both. I'd, I'd say play, play IDPs. Get him out of here. Get That's it. That's enough. No, Leave no, DSTs no. alone. Fellow man of culture. Leave strong DSTs alone. Adam is just weirdly being contrarian on this whole thing. I'm I not being why. contrarian. I saved DSTs. start a dynasty league with us with just DSTs. <laughs> I like DSTs. They're... Who has DST in dynasty? It's unheard of. It's not unheard of. All right, we got to go. Uh, thanks for listening and watching, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow on Fantasy Football Team. We need to talk. The acclaimed Showtime original docuseries Couples Therapy returns with an addictive and revealing new season. Dr. Orna is back in session, helping four new couples grapple with real issues from religion and sex to polyamorous power dynamics. Collider says couples therapy is like nothing else on TV. It's break up or break through on the new season of Couples Therapy. Now streaming with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Visit ParamountPlus.com to try it free.